0: We're on the Gemara Yevamos Tazva Manala 15A2. The Gemara is discussing uh, different proofs, uh, trying to prove whether or not Beish in the end of the day agrees to Beish Hillel, or do we say that no, Beish Shammai maintains their own position against Beish Hillel, something which we discussed in the last recording and also last week. Uh, we discussed why you would say one way or the other. But that's the discussion of the Gemara for this week's uh, da for this week's page, and we left off with we were in the middle of a of a, of a particular topic uh, in the last recording. So I just wanted to go back to to that beginning of that topic and and uh, discuss the question and the answer. Essentially, the Gemara wanted to bring a proof uh, from Rabban Gamliel. Rabban Gamliel he married uh, his sister in law after his brother passed away. His brother was married to. Rabban Gamliel's own daughter. So certainly there's no mitzvah yibum or Chalitza for uh, the daughter. Uh, there, there's, a total, there's an exemption there. But with regards to the co-wife, Rabban Gamliel did Yibam with the co-wife. So that seems to prove that Beish Shammai maintained their position. Because that's only true according to the position of Beish Shammai. According to Beis Hillel, there is no obligation to do Yibam or Chalitza. In fact, it's a prohibition to do Yibam. Because it's outside the context of a mitzvah. But the fact that Rabbi Gamliel did it shows that there were those who actually practically followed Beish The problem, says the Gemara, is that Rabbi Gamliel is a student of Basilal. He's not a student of Beish So the Gemara ends up saying that really the reason why Rabbi Gamliel was able to marry the co-wife was for different reasons. It was, it was for a different reason. And so that's what the Gemara is getting into right now. How is Rabbi Gamliel able to marry the co-wife even according to Beish He was able to marry the co-wife. So it must be that this is some sort of exception to the rule because this is even Beis Hillel in this scenario would be saying that you're allowed to marry the co-wife even though in general you're not allowed to marry the co-wife. And the question is why? So this is really a tangent to the uh, broader topic of whether or not Beis follows Beis Hillel because we're seeing here that even Ram Gamaliel who follows Beis Hillel, he's of the opinion that you can marry the co-wife of... you can do Yibam, sorry, with the co-wife of a, a relative. And the question is why... Uh, so the the brysa which we quoted says that Rabban Galeel was able to do this, and then in the end of the brysa, which is where we left off with, the end of the brysa quotes the acherim. Others explain, meaning a different opinion, says that the reason why Rabban Galeel was able to do this was because uh, his daughter, who was married to his brother, uh, was an islandess. And we had this in the past. A lot of the exceptions that we're going to quote, we're going to quote three different exceptions. As to why this was allowed, a lot of these exceptions were we've seen in the past, referenced in the past. And one of these ideas is that she was an islandist. Because uh, she's an islandist, uh, so therefore, the co-wife is allowed to do it should do yibum or a Chalitza, once the, once the relative is an islandist. An islandist is, 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 a, is a person who's not, who's not able to have children. So because she's not able to have children, we'll explain exactly why in a minute, but because she's not able to have children, so she's sort of removed from the discussion. She's sort of not part of the discussion as to whether we could do Yibam or Chalitza. And so therefore, the Rabban Gamliel could do Yibam or Chalitza with the co-wife, even though uh, the co-wife is a co-wife of a daughter of Rabban Gamliel. Uh, but the point of the Gemara here is to say that the second opinion of the Brisa says the reason why Robin will was able to do this was because she's an islandess. So the Gemara wants to know, doesn't that prove that the first opinion that's mentioned in the Brisa, the first opinion argues and says that it's for a different reason? Doesn't that prove to us that the first opinion cannot be of the opinion that says that the reason why Robin will was able to do this was because the daughter was an islandess, was somebody who couldn't have children? That's the question of the Gemara. Because the second opinion says that the reason the reason why this is an exception is because the daughter was somebody who couldn't have children, therefore she's she can't have children, she's just totally removed from the discussion. Doesn't that prove to us that the first opinion that's quoted must be for a different reason, it's not because of islandness. So the Gemara gives now three different reasons as to why, according to the first opinion, uh, this is an exception to the rule. Again, the rule is like Beis Hillel, Rabbi Gamliel follows Beis Hillel, the rule is like Beis Hillel who says that in general, the co-wife does not have a mitzvah of Yibam or chalitza. For some reason, here this is an exception to say that there is a mitzvah of Yibom or chalitza with with regards to the co-wife. So the question is why. So the Gemara is going to give three different reasons. The first reason is That really, according to the first opinion, it is because of ailiness, but it's it's for a different reason than the second than the second opinion, and it's a different situation also. According to the first opinion, the the situation is as follows: When Rabbi Genliel's brother married Rabbi Genliel's daughter, he thought that he was marrying somebody who could have children. In the end, she couldn't have children because they got married under the assumption that she could have children, and then it was found out later that she couldn't have children. It it it's a it's what we call a mekach taos, and it it retroactively. Uproot the the marriage because the marriage was under the assumption uh, that you that she could have children, and because that's really a a, a fundamental part of uh, of this uh, of this marriage of this assumption of this marriage and the fact that it wasn't true. So then that retroactively undoes the marriage. It's as it's as if Rabbi Amiel's brother was never married to her, and if Rabbi Amiel's brother was never married to her, so then c- certainly um, the uh, Rabban Gamliel could then do yibam with the co-wife because it's not really a co-wife. It's like there's only one wife in this marriage because the other wife, the daughter of Rabban Gamliel, was never really married to Rabban Gamliel's brother because uh, they only got married under the assumption that she would able be able to have children, and she's not able to have children. That is the first opinion of the brisa. The second opinion of brisa, which also quotes this idea of islandness, was based off of a different reason. Even, let's say, let's say Rav brother always knew, even before they were married, always knew that she she would not be able to have children. He married her anyways, knowing that she would not be able to have children. So it is a, a perfectly valid marriage. There are two wives, according to uh, this scenario. Gamliel's brother Robert Gamliel's brother passes away without children. He has these two wives. One of them is the daughter of Rav The other one is a co-wife. This opinion says that still, because when it comes to the myths of yibum, this is something that we discussed in the past, because Yibam is about, about having children that relate back to that original marriage, that you do yibum so that the, the children of that new marriage, of the brother-in-law and the sister-in-law, is now to to continue the uh, the Zerah, to continue the, the shame, the name of the original marriage. But because this sister-in-law, the one who is also the daughter, She's not able to have children, so then she's not even in the in the in the. We don't view her within this picture of Yibam because since she can't have children, she she's she can't fulfill what Yibam is there to fulfill, which is to have children that really continue that original marriage. So she's now no longer part of the that the the whole discussion here. So it's as if it's true the brother is married to two wives, but with regards to Yibam, it's as if he's only married to one wife, that we only look at the co-wife. We don't, we're not interested when it comes within the context of Yibam, we're not interested in looking at uh, the daughter because she's not able to have children. And the whole myth of Yibam is to have children uh, so that the children are viewed as an extension of that first marriage. So therefore, when, within the context of Yibam, it's as if we only look at the co-wife who is not related and that's how Rabbi Malil was able to do even with that co-wife who was not related that is the first explanation as to the exceptions as to why even Basil would say that you're allowed to do Yibum uh, when it is a situation where there are two wives one of them is related to the brother the other wife is just a co-wife not related uh, to the to the to the live brother the second exception the girish Gi this is also something that we had in the past uh, which is essentially saying that the reason according to the first opinion the reason why uh Rabamel was able to do Yibam with the uh, co-wife was because it was the following situation. It was where uh when the brother passed away, he was really only married to the co-wife, and he was not married to uh his his uh to his niece to Rabbi daughter because they got divorced. They got divorced before he passed away so therefore at the time of his death there was only one wife. There was the wife who was not related to anybody. And, and was not related to Rabbi Amlil. And that's how Rabbi Amlil was able to do Yibam. Because at the time of death, um, he, the, 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 uh, the co-wife was the only wife. And that's the explanation as to how Rabbi Amlil was able to, uh, to, uh, to do Yibam with the co-wife. Because at the time of death, uh, he was, uh, the brother was not married to Rabbi Amlil's daughter. That's the second exception. The third exception is... The third exception is as follows. It's that when they when Rabbi Gamliel's brother originally married his niece, meaning Rabbi Gamliel's daughter, uh, he married her on condition. They made it on condition, whatever the condition is, it was on condition that, let's say, whatever the condition is, that on uh, condition that uh of uh, that that, so, that so, something would would happen or that the that uh there's a certain condition about uh the type any condition, whatever the condition is, there's some sort of condition and that condition is not fulfilled. So therefore it annuls the marriage retroactively. According to the first opinion, according to this opinion that says the Reverend Will is able to do yibum with the co wife. And so since it retroactively um undoes the marriage because the condition wasn't fulfilled. It annuls the marriage. Since it annuls the marriage, so it's like the Rabban Leo's brother was never married to his niece. It was never married to Rabban Leo's daughter. And it's like he was only married to the co-wife. So there's really only one wife here. So this is how it's an exception because he was never really married to the daughter of Rabban Gamliel. So these are the three different uh, explanations as to how Rabban Gamliel was able to marry the co-wife uh, to do yibum with the co-wife of his daughter, right? It was his daughter was the other wife. How is he able to do the mitzvah of yibum if, according to Beis Hillel, follows Beis Hillel, and Beis Hillel is of the opinion that, there's an ex- that uh, there is an exemption of yibum or Khalitza with regards to the co-wife? The answer is that either it's a case where, uh, for some reason, uh, the, the the marriage was annulled with regards to the daughter. Uh, because it was on condition, or because it was under an assumption that she would be able to have kids, and she's not able to have kids, or we say that at the time of death uh, they already got divorced, and so therefore uh, at the time of death there was only one there was only one wife, the co-wife who was not related to Robin Gamliel. These are all different reasons as to how Robin Gamliel was able to perform the mitzvah of Yibam with the co-wife. Okay, that's really. A tangent. We're now going back to our original discussion. So we're now going back to our original discussion as to whether or not we can bring a proof that Beishamai, um, that Beishamai, did he follow Hillel at the end of the day? Even though he disagreed um, in, in the whole discussion, Does he, practically, does he follow Hillo or does he not follow Hillo Until now, our entire discussion was about our Mishnah. We had a machogas. There was a dispute between Beisham and and Beis within our Mishnah with regards to the co-wife. And that was the entire discussion. The Gemara now is broadening this discussion to any dispute between Beisham and Beishil. If there's any dispute between Beisham and Beishil, could we prove that Beisham practically agrees to Beishil, practically? Or do we say that no, they maintain their position practically and they disagree uh, with Basilo So we're now going to discuss other areas of law. Not discussing the Yibum discussion, the Yibum. Dispute, uh, but we're gonna discuss other areas of law where there's a dispute between Beisham and Hillel, and can we prove that Bishama practically did he then practically follow Hillel, or did he maintain his own position? So hopefully we'll have time to discuss two cases. Masav Rav Musharsha Rav Misharshia asks based on the following Braissa. Rabbi Rabbi Kiva is the following story with Rabbi Akiva. Shaliki Ashrog Bacha be'shvat and Vinag Isurin. He picked the fruits of an esrog tree on the first of Shvat, and he therefore was stringent to take off two misers. Just a little bit of background. It's a quick background because uh, it requires more of a discussion uh, to get into the into the particulars and the reasons behind it. Uh, but essentially, this is the background. The the within the the produce. Uh, system there are seven years every seventh year is the Shemitah year but even within that in terms of uh, the various laws that, the, about with regards to the produce uh, within those years uh, different years require different types of, of of miser of taking off from that produce to give it either to a poor person or to bring it to Yerushalayim uh, there's a whole cycle and the way it works is that for the first two years uh, for, the, for the first two years, you would have to bring it to your shalim. With regards to the first two years, you bring it to your shalim. On the third year of the cycle, uh, the meister that you take off, the 10% that you take off of produce, you would give to a poor person. So again, for the first two years, uh, you know, you keep it for yourself, but you have to bring it to your shalim and eat it in your shalim, temp- the meister, uh, the 10% of it. You have, to ta- you have to take that produce and bring it to your shalim and eat it in your shalim. With regards to the third year, you would have to give that 10%. You don't have to bring it to your slime, You have to give it to a poor person. Uh, the question is, when does the year end and when does the next year begin? So that is exactly what Tubishvat is all about. Tubishvat, the 15th of Shvat, is Rosh Hashanah Lanos, It's the new year for the trees. And so that, what does it mean it's the new year? It's with regards to this law. Uh, that is of the opinion that the 15th of Shvat is the new year so that it's now either the second year or the third year. Um, so that you would either have to bring it to your shalim or you would have to give it to a poor person. Beishamai argues, and he's of the opinion that the new year begins not by the 15th of Shvat, but it begins by the 1st of Shvat. It begins by the by the 1st of Shvat. And what happens if you then uh, pick the fruits in between? So then you have a dispute between Beishamai and Beishelah. What year are we in? According to Beishamai, we're in the next year. According to Beishelah, we're still in the previous year. If, it, if you t- pick the fruits in between the 1st and the 15th, Ashwat. and that's what happened here in the story of Rabbi Akiva Rabbi Akiva picked the fruits on the first of Shavuot and it happens to be it was the second year going into the third year according to Beit Shammai, it's now the third year you would have to give it to a poor person according to Beit Hillel it's really still the second year you would have to bring it to Yerushalayim Rabbi Akiva was stringent and he did both he did both He followed both opinions to say that because it's it's the in between point between the first and the fifteenth Ishvat, we follow two Bishvat, that's why we celebrate two Bishvat, we follow Baiselal. But Rabbi Kiva was stringent like both Baishamai and Baisalal to say that it's both the second year and the third year. So he did both. So this seems to prove Shmami no also. This seems to prove that Bishamai practically in the end of the day he he maintained his position of the first Ishvat. That's why Rabbi Kiva was stringent like Baishamai. So the Gemara says no. No, really. the The way to answer is that Rabbi Kiva himself he was he didn't, he forgot what did Beis Hillel hold. He forgot whether Beis Hillel, uh, held that the new year is the first of Shavad or the new year is the fifteenth of Shavad. So we cannot prove that Beis Shammai, uh really followed his position practically. Really, Rabbi Kiva followed Beis Hillel. It's just he forgot whether Beis Hillel, uh, if held that the new year begins on the 1st or the 15th of Shvat, and therefore he was stringent to then uh, follow both opinions, to bring it to Jerusalem and to give it uh, to the poor. Let's move on to the next case. Then also he has the following question. So a little bit of background. Now we're discussing, again, these are all new, different laws of disputes between B'Sham and B'Selah. The laws of Sukkah. Beshilo holds that, with regards to the laws of sukkah, that a child is only obligated for, to educate the child in the laws of sukkah once the child no longer uh, needs his mother in the middle of the night. That's when he becomes obligated. Beshama argues that, no, it's even of an earlier age, that even when the child needs the mother, we still have an obligation uh, to educate the child to sit in the sukkah and to sleep in the sukkah. And so there's a following story of Shammai and what did he do? His daughter-in-law had a child, it's now his granddaughter, his, sorry, his grandson. And what they did was that they removed the plaster from the roof so that the child could then uh, sit in the sukkah. They wanted it to be so that the child would be able to, uh, to sit and sleep in the sukkah. And even though it's a very young child, we're discussing a very young child here who needs his mother. So we see that practically Shammai maintained his position. So Shammai did maintain his position. He didn't follow Basel to say that he's exempt from the sukkah. No, he maintained his position. So we see here that he didn't maintain his position. He, he maintained his position. So the answer is no. No, that's an exception to the rule because people aren't going to know. They're not. They won't notice that he follows his own position because they'll think that the reason why they did this was just as to provide air. It was for air conditioning. It wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, it was to provide air. It wasn't there to fulfill the mitzvah of sukkah, but it was there to provide air. Within the room, and so therefore nobody would notice that they're maintaining their position. So really, it's not that they didn't do this uh, because they maintained their position. It was really people will know, will see, them think that it wasn't uh, because they maintained their position. Um, so we'll we'll stop here. Those are those are three cases, three different examples that we discussed about uh, whether or not trying to bring a proof, whether or not Bishamai really maintains their position. We now started to broaden the topic beyond just. Our Yibim case to other cases of disputes between Beishamai and Beis could we prove that Beis uh, maintained their own position or that they follow uh, Beis Hillel? So we, we tried to bring two proofs, and we, in the end of the day, we said that those weren't proofs, that we cannot prove that Beis maintained uh, their own position.